Good morning, church. We want to welcome everybody who is here in person. This is a larger crowd than I might have been expecting this first Saturday in December. We want to welcome everybody who is joining us online as well here in town and across the nation and even across the world to our online church. We are so glad to have you with us. I am filling in this morning. I am not David Young. I like to say I'm just slightly younger David. So I am one of the youth ministers here at North Boulevard, and February the 1st will have completed two decades um, of partnering alongside of North Boulevard, and it has been such a great, great blessing. We, you know, we, praise, we praise the Lord. I told somebody, I said, they said, you're a youth minister? I said, they said, for how long? I said, 25 years, 20 years at North Boulevard. They were like, youth? I'm not exactly sure that word means what you think it means. Um, but we are so honored to be able to be here in February the 1st, uh, 20 years. It's been um, a great blessing. We're going to celebrate the fact that it's December the 6th and we've almost made it through 2020, everybody. Good news. That's right. Give ourselves a round of applause. So 2020 came out looking like an amazing chocolate chip cookie and then one bite in, chocolate raisin. Boom. I mean, oatmeal raisin. Uh, I don't know if, if you like oatmeal raisin cookies, we can talk a little bit later, but I saw this the other day. Uh, you lied. My kids are not a joy to have in class. For all of the distant learners there. And then this is every parent at home right now. This is all of us. We all can relate to this. Moms and dads, uh-oh, here come the kids. Get ready. A little ingenuity and boom, there you go. We're all ready to go. Mom, dad, I want to make something, build something. Where are you? There we go. And there we are. So that uh, describes the way most of us may be feeling right now. Some, an idea for some of you to, uh, to possibly try. And at the top of the mounting list of things that will test our endurance to come out of 2020, I give you this. Yeah, two things almost impossible for me to endure put into one box. So there you are. The single best metaphor, however, to describe, and I've collected a lot of these since March. This may be the best one. Here we are in January and February, and here comes March, and here comes April. <laughs> Then here comes May, and uh, we got everybody, just keep going. But what does it feel like to lead in all of this? For those of us who've tried to lead, not just here at church, but many of you are leading in all sorts of communities and, and other groups, this picture probably, I don't know how funny it's meant to be, but this really describes the way that I feel. So um, we want to thank you for, um, for your grace and patience as we've tried to navigate this. It's been a blessing in some days, and some days it's been quite a, a challenge. But here we are, December the 6th, and we're now getting ready for Christmas. And I don't know when Christmas really begins for you. Maybe it's when you see Santa at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, whatever that parade looks like. Or maybe it's when you see the chair appear in the mall. When I was a kid, that's how I knew when Christmas began. Or maybe it's when you hear the Salvation Army workers um, jingling the bells as they stand outside the stores. Or when Little Debbie releases their Christmas cakes. Maybe that's it. Or maybe Christmas begins for you in August when Hobby Lobby puts all the stuff out on the shelves. For me, Christmas always begins with this. Now, Hershey's is messing with my commercial this year, which I'm not a big fan of, but that's okay. We'll get over that. They're airing both versions of their new commercial, but this is probably my favorite Christmas commercial. Growing up, though, it was the Folgers commercial. You have to be my age or older to remember the commercial where Peter comes home. Anybody remember that one? That was probably when I saw that, I knew that it was Christmas. But as a kid, and again, you have to be my age or a little bit older um, probably to fully appreciate this, Christmas began whenever I saw this. This let me know that what was about to follow was probably going to be Charlie Brown or Rudolph or Frosty the Snowman. That's when Christmas began. But 
since I have been a little bit older and or gotten a little bit older, and for the past 20 years, Christmas has always really begun with this. This was the filling station last week. Many of you participated either through funds or prayer or sacrifice of time and energy to help us get ready for our annual toy drive where we reach out to kids and partner with the city schools. We got more coats than you can possibly cram into one car, more stuffed unicorns, and we, we, we shoved Jake Grubbs back there in the back with all the unicorns. And we brought all the toys. We invited um, about 80 kids each night from local city schools. Our thanks to Lisa Trail and her team at the city schools that give us kids' names. And then we started inviting them and watching them come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. And it was an amazing blessing to kick off the Christmas season with some very special children, some very special volunteers. We had some special guest uh, characters that showed up to greet all of our children, and they were so excited to get to meet the characters and get pictures made. I love this picture because this little girl here, these, these were sisters, and the girl in the end there with the redhead, she was so excited, and she said, can I just take my mask off for one picture because I've got a beautiful smile, and sure enough, she does, and she wanted to get that mask off for one picture, uh, and it was such a joy to watch the little kids get to see Santa and uh, to meet our, our students. Our teens were elves for each of the kids. They came in, they got paired with them, they walked them around Santa's workshop and got to pick out three toys from different tables. They got hats and gloves and mittens and coats. They got a Bible and a Bible storybook, and thanks to Lisa Trail and her team, they got a meal to go. Uh, normally, we have a big party where we're all together in the filling station, but it was a come-and-go deal. So far, over 200 kids came through, and we anticipate about 100 or even 200 more kids will be served as we work with social workers for the rest of, of December. And North Boulevard, you made that possible, helping us raise just under $13,000 even in this season and made this little girl who got one of those stuffed unicorns as she left and she said this was the best Christmas party ever. And so, North Boulevard, we want to say uh, thank you. Teens, I think that many of you were helped out this past week. Why don't you join and thank all of the North Boulevard for making this possible? It was an incredible week. Even in the midst of a pandemic, we made it work because this is the way we feel this Christmas, right? This is one of my favorite scenes from one of my classic Christmas movies. And like Clark Griswold, we go out and got a little knot here. This is 2020. We all kind of wondered what Christmas was going to feel like, and maybe you're like this guy. <laughs> ah, I'm done. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and maybe we can pull some blessings out of the Christmas season, but this is pretty much what it feels like. And so today I want to talk about just changing our tune. You, you don't know these guys, but you know something that they did that has blessed a lot of us. This is Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine. Hugh's the one on the left. Hughes, a composer, and one day in 1944, he composed a tune, was working on some songs for a movie that was coming out. He and his partner, Ralph Blaine, were in separate rooms working, and Hugh was putting a tune together, and he couldn't quite get the tune. He didn't like it, and so he wadded up the sheet music, and he threw it in the trash can. True story. The next day, his partner, Hugh, uh, or, or Ralph, came over and said, hey, what that song you were playing yesterday, where is that? And he said, I couldn't get the tune right, and I threw it away. He says, no, 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 I've been, I've been humming it all day. He goes, it just didn't work. He said, no, let's, let's, let's work on some lyrics for it. So together they sat down and he said, I think it would work great in this movie that we're doing. They were doing a movie about a, a wealthy family that lived in St. Louis and the father got a job in New York and they were going to have to move and it was going to cause a lot of sadness for the kids to uproot and move all the way or uh, halfway across the country to New York. And they thought this would be the perfect uh, tune for one of our songs for our, our movie, Meet Me in St. Louis. The movie's set in 1903, right before the 
World's Fair comes to St. Louis in 1904. The family finds out they're about to have to move. The, the classic song from this movie is the trolley song. It was nominated for an Oscar, and it's the song that they thought was going to last. But it's not the song from this movie that is the most played song. Some of you are probably already ahead of me. Some of you know this movie. How many of you know the song that comes from this that most of us are going to hear a whole lot right now? Well, not as many of you know it as I thought, Mike. Ralph and Hugh reworked some of that song, and they said there's a scene where in the family, it's set at Christmas, and Esther, Judy Garland, uh, plays a 21-year-old, or she was 21 at the time, she plays a teenager, and she, uh, her her name is Esther in the movie, and she's talking to her five-year-old sister, Tootie, who's very distraught about having to move. She had made a snowman family of her whole family out in the yard, and when she finds out they're having to move to New York, she goes outside and tears down all of the snowman family, and she's crying. And Judy Garland's character is going to sing to her a song that says, it's going to be possible for us to have ourselves a merry little Christmas even in the midst of all of this. So they wrote the words to the song that many of us sing. It's a song that is the number two most performed Christmas song next to um, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire. And in 2004 was number 76 in the American Film Institute's top 100 songs in the history of American cinema. But then when she saw the lyrics, she told Hugh Martin, I'm not seeing this. And he said, why not? She goes, it's too sad. He goes, well, it's a sad scene. She goes, if I sing this, that little girl will think I'm a monster. So will everybody else listening to it. And he says, I'm sorry, you're going to sing it. One of the other actors in the movie, the love interest of Judy Garland, pulled Hugh Martin aside and he said, it's a great song. The lyrics are bad. And you will ruin your life if you don't change the lyrics to that song. Well, some of you go, well, I love the song. I think it's a perfectly perfectly great song. You may not know the original lyrics of the song. As it was originally written, this is totally true. Here are the original lyrics. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, Judy Garland sings to her young five-year-old sister. It may be your last. Next year, we may all be living in the past. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Pop the champagne cork. Next year, we may all be living in New York. No good times like the olden days. No more happy days of yore. Faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us no more. But at least we will all be together, if the Lord allows. From now on, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So try and have yourself a merry little Christmas. You're probably thinking, that is a horrible song. Who's going to sing that song? Those were the lyrics that the actor in the movie said, it's a great tune. And it's got a good direction. But you're going to ruin your life if you don't change those words. So he did. He changed the words. And here are the lyrics that Judy Garland actually sings that we all know. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Yeah, you can contrast that to it may be your last. (laughs) Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year, all our troubles will be far away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more. That's different than no more. Someday soon, we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Hugh Martin said, I'm leaving those lyrics in. That line cannot change because this scene is about a family that's going to have to get through something very difficult. I'm leaving that one in. Well, in 1957, Frank Sinatra came and said, hey, I'm writing an album called Jolly Christmas. Um, I'm not singing that. You're going to have to jolly this song up for us. So they rewrote the words for Frank Sinatra, hang a shining star upon the highest bough. So have yourself a merry little Christmas. Now, some of you say, okay, I've heard both versions. Linda Ronstadt recorded a version where she sang both. 
in two different choruses because she said, I want people to know that sometimes you're singing one lyric and sometimes you're singing another lyric. Some people have to muddle, the, muddle through Christmas somehow. But I love the hope of hanging a shining star on the highest bow. At least it holds out some hope. So there's all different versions of the song, but aren't we glad that Judy Garland doesn't sing the original lyrics and that somebody had at least the, the forethought to tell Hugh Martin, you got to change. But we, in fact, are muddling through. Now, some of us have put up our decorations and we're looking forward to presents and parties and food and recipes and, and family gatherings that might look different. But for some of us, we're having to muddle our way through because we've got a little knot here in case you haven't noticed in 2020. And so our, our teens just finished a series on the book of Habakkuk. And I'm not going to recap that, guys, but I'm going to recap some of the things that you've heard. But there's going to be some new things that we didn't get to. So this is kind of a, a little bit of an epilogue to the series that we just finished. It's a book of the Bible that most of our teens are like, I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. One of our, one of our leaders in the group said, I, I'm, I've got to admit, Skid, those pages in my Bible are stuck together. And there's only like two pages. It's only three chapters, 56 verses. Somebody said, I thought you were talking about that thing that you counted on. No, that's an abacus. Somebody else said, I thought you were talking about the character from Star Wars. No, that would be Chewbacca. Somebody else said, I thought you said I have a backache. No, it's Habakkuk. All these are legitimate things that people were like, I don't even know that this is a character. Now, most of you in the room have probably familiarized yourself somewhat with Habakkuk. We don't listen to a whole lot of sermons about Habakkuk. He's a prophet is very different because most prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God. They took a message from God and went to the people. Habakkuk's the only prophet who doesn't do that. He takes a message of the people, mainly himself, and he goes to God. He speaks to God directly. Now, we're not going to have time to read through Habakkuk 1 and 2, where he goes and he complains. He, he says to God things like this, How long, O Lord? Let's just stop right there. Anybody said that? Anytime this year in your prayers, in your journal? Yeah. How long? How long must I call for help but you don't listen? Some of us have felt that. Teens were like, you mean this is in the Bible? God allowed somebody to talk that way to him? There were so many students that fell in love with this book because they saw a person you know, almost shaking a fist at God saying, I cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Now, I had Chamberlain Little, who is an actor, come up at True North one day and try to figure out how, how, how would this passage have been said? Was he angry? Was he brokenhearted? Was he sarcastic? The answer is probably yes to all of those. I don't know how the lines were delivered. But you can imagine a broken-hearted Habakkuk say, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. If you've turned on the news or read a newspaper or been on social media, you've seen people ask these questions or you've seen something that has driven you to ask these questions. You've sat with somebody that says, I can't believe in the God that you serve because are you watching the same news I'm watching? Those of us in youth ministry across the country have battled, God, how can we spiritually form students when everything that we do to form them has been taken away? Or we, we, we can't go and sing songs uh, on retreats. Or we can't go and build houses in Mexico. And I find myself saying to God, God, I'm, I'm not necessarily mad, but I'm so brokenhearted. How do you expect me to, to, to really motivate these students to love you when the things that really help them to love you are gone? It doesn't make any sense. God, what are you doing? And you've asked your same version of those questions. Those of you watching at home, you, you've 
whether you've shaken a fist or you've just dropped to your knees in tears, these questions are very familiar. And it was very comforting to students to know, that's a verse in the Bible? That looks like my last Instagram post. Somebody said, I wrote things like that in my journal. And they are left by thinking, God is nowhere. And Habakkuk complains to God, and God responds to Habakkuk. And he says, hey, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that's so unbelievable that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk's like, oh, great news. And he says, it's not great news. The Babylonians are coming, and they're going to take you captive. And Habakkuk says in chapter 2, he complains again. I mean, if you complain to God and he responds, I told the teens, next time your parents tell you something, do what Habakkuk does in chapter 2 and say, that answer's not going to work, and I'm going to stand here until I get another one. Yeah, apparently he's experienced that before. Habakkuk says in so many words, I'm going to position myself in the watchtower and I'm going to wait until you give me an answer to this complaint because I don't like your plan. Whatever you're up to, it's not working. Habakkuk says in these, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, he says, God, you can't bring the Babylonians. If you do that, they'll mock us. They'll mock you. Our people will start mocking you. They'll turn away from you. I'm going to lose my job as a prophet. I got nothing to say on your behalf because I don't even like what you're doing. I can't be your advocate. And as a youth minister, I've asked those same questions. Oh, I'll admit it's been really difficult. Now, I'm not going to throw a pity party, but it's been challenging for students to say, Skid, what is God up to? And I'm like, um, you know, what, it's, I, uh, let me get back to you on that because I don't know. And teens say, I just don't think God is anywhere. God is nowhere. Well, you're ahead of me on looking at this phrase. You can see that you don't have to change letters or even move it around. But you just look at it a little bit differently, and it now says God is now here. What is it that gets Habakkuk from chapters 1 and 2 to chapter 3? Because chapters 1 and 2 look very much like, have yourself a merry little Christmas, Hugh Martin. This might be your last. He's like, God, I can't go to people and say, it looks bad. Guess what? It's getting worse. And we're going to all be miserable for a very, very long time. Well, in January, before we even knew what the year held, we started something in our youth ministry we called NBYG Pray Day where we ask people to sign up for 12 months, 52 weeks, 366 days of this leap year. Wouldn't it be like 2020 to get an extra day, of course. And we said, we want you to pray for our students the number of minutes equal to your age. So if you're 15, you pray for 15 minutes. There were five-year-olds that, were, that prayed. There were 49-year-olds that prayed, walked around the church. We said, we're going to send you one of these cards. By the way, these are those cards. Somebody says, are those the points of each of your message this morning? No. These are the prayer cards we sent out to, uh, to uh, people that signed up to pray, or they took one. And, and many people, not all were able to do that, but wrote down what they prayed about and sent it back to us. So we'd get pictures. Nancy Boiseau sends a picture of her praying down the names of all of the students in our ministry while she sat outside the filling station. There were days when Blake and I were in the office talking, we'd see people walking around, and I'm like, what, what were they doing? And they walked around the campus for, for the 50 minutes of their 50 years of life, or they would send in a card with all that they had prayed about with pictures of their quiet time. And this is the year. It started out with a few weeks of January, and then February, and then March. And once March hit, you, you ought to read some of these prayer requests. They change a lot in March. The cards start getting more detailed. And then April, May, and June. And then the summer, June and July and August. And now finally we're into the very last month. And they put all of the prayer requests on these boards. But it was March the 13th that was one of my favorites. Because on March the 13th, Joe and Ruth Mays walked into the filling station and got their prayer card. And they walked into one of the classrooms with their son-in-law, Bill. I know the family is watching online. And with their permission, I'm able to share some of these stories. 
and prayed for 91 minutes. All throughout True North and even after we were done, and they went down the list and they prayed. Many of you in the room, and certainly a lot of you watching from other places, don't know Joe, but you need to know just something about the greatness of the spiritual giant that we said goodbye to last week. And I'm not going to recap everything I shared at his service, but I just want you to know a little bit about the man that would go to Mexico and build houses as, a, as a, one of our elders who, even in his 80s and 90s, was going with us. Here he is doing the floss with his uh, grand, uh, great-grandchildren, one of my favorite video clips. That was at his 90th birthday party just uh, a little over a year ago. Joe would go to Mexico and play characters in all of our skits and uh, some of you have seen some of these pictures before. Here he is as Inspector Gadget in his 80s uh, playing Inspector Gadget. The next year he was Buzz Lightyear. And then he was Captain J- uh, Joe Sparrow, uh, uh, Jack Sparrow's grandfather. Here he is as Shrek and the Incredible Hulk. Here he is as Dr. Nefario from the Despicable Me movies where he got to ride around that little cart, which he loved, by the way. There he is. Um, I don't know who's going to take Joe's place in our skits as one of our Um, elder statesman, but it's probably not going to be Bob Webb from this picture is my guess. (laughs) Bob was not all that excited to be a minion, but um, Joe surprised everybody one year as Santa, and then he was future me in one of the videos that we did in Mexico. And so there he is where I have to track myself down 60 years into or, or, or 50 years into the future, and I find myself, what a great honor to know that maybe I could possibly turn out like Joe Mays. Well, More about Joe in a second, but I'm just going to call a commercial break for just a moment. With the family's permission, I want to show you a very short video. It's an announcement we made for one of our mission trip meals. Remember when we had mission trips? It was a mission trip meal that we asked the church to raise money for, and we had forgotten to kind of get the word out like we should. So I said, let's get all of the electronic communication means, and let's get the word out. And Joe appeared in a lot of these, and this is perhaps one of my favorite. And with the family's not only permission but blessing, I'll show you this short clip. This is from 2014, and it was one of the classics. All right, everybody, the reason I've assembled the five of you is you're going to be my mobile communications team because we have got to get the word out now about our NBYG missions fundraising lunch, which takes place today after class and after second service. we got to raise money, people, so we got to get the word out. It's going to be an awesome menu with over 100 silent auction items. we got to spread the word. So I've assembled every mobile communication device I have to get the word out. Let's start with you, Luke. All right, here's what I need you to do. I want you to take my phone. I want you to text this. I want you to put it on Twitter. I want you to put it on Facebook. I want you to put it on uh, that thing with the pictures, uh, uh, Etch-a-Sketch, Instagram. Instagram. Okay, I want you to take my iPad and I want you to design a poster that we can use to hang all over the building. I don't have time to do that. I've got thin mints. Uh, hey, I'll just... All right, only a couple devices left. We've got, wait, whose is this? Really, Skid? It's mine. All right, I've got, what in the world? I'm on it. (laughs) Just join us for lunch today, please. Selfie. (laughs) When Joe grabs that phone and says, I'm on it, he says four words and he becomes the star of that video. Joe taught me something that um, really speaks to the message of Habakkuk. When I knew that Joe was sick and I just prayed for weeks, 2020, do not do this. Do not take this man from us. Joe probably is uh, right now thinking something far different than that uh, is my guess. But Joe's life taught me something uh, extremely valuable. And you get to Habakkuk 3 
to, to see those lessons unfold. For it's in Habakkuk 3 that after complaining to God twice and now God replying back to him, Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard of your deeds. I stand in awe of them, of your fame. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Something changes. He begins to change his tune in Habakkuk chapter 3. He knows something that Joe pretty much taught me. Depending on your tune, your life will either be awful or it will be all full. just depends on how you spell it. Our goal in our youth ministry is to take students who often feel like whatever's going on in their life is awful and to help them realize that we want them to be full uh, of all, which is why we prayed for, for almost 350 days now. Joe Mays lived this life that was full of awe because he's a man who modeled uh, Habakkuk 2 in verse 4. God tells Habakkuk in one of his replies, Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about the enemy that's about to attack them, the Babylonians. His soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That may be Joe's epitaph right there, a man who lived by faith. That quote is quoted three times in the New Testament, once in Romans, once in Galatians, once by the Hebrew writer. Paul twice says, to quote Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. A, a prophet who doesn't get a whole lot of time in the Old Testament gets quoted by some of, the most, some of the most famous passages in all of the New Testament. Martin Luther would say that passage alone helped him reshape his whole thinking leading into the Reformation. The righteous shall live by faith. Because Habakkuk begins to understand that faith is trusting what you see in the Word until you see it in the world. This is a message that we want for our students who are turning on the news and seeing all kinds of injustice and their friends say, where is your God? God is nowhere. Faith helps you see that God is now here. Because sight is something that we see. Faith is trusting what God sees. Sight says, I'll believe it when I see it. But faith says, I'll believe it until I see it. And Habakkuk begins to model this in chapter 3. Faith doesn't mean everything's going to be okay, but that it means that, that you'll be okay. Faith is trusting what God says while waiting to see what God does. And then Habakkuk, after God replies to him twice, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Because in Habakkuk 2, God says, the bad news in, in one, the Babylonians are coming. But Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of the Babylonians. But I need you to know what it's like to be surrounded by this evil so that when the, my people see it, they will know I don't want to ever be like that. And I don't want that to be the tune that I sing for the rest of my life. He says, Habakkuk, I'm doing something that you're not going to understand. But you have to know that I'm still in control. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait patiently and then he rewrites the lyrics. Like Hugh Martin digging out of the trash can, Habakkuk goes and he digs through it and he says, this is a tune that I started, but I didn't think sounded good. And then the passage that most people quote from Habakkuk. And it's the passage that somebody in this room needs as we enter into this holiday season. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the Fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We're going to stop there for a second because most of us read that, at least I do, and I think no figs, no problem. I don't like figs. No sheep in the stalls, no problem. Don't take care of sheep. I don't know anything about sheep. Most of those things we don't need. 
But to somebody reading this, Habakkuk is saying our very livelihood and life is completely shutting down. Not just a quarantine, not just a lockdown. This is everything that sustains us has been taken away. But he says, I'm going to continue to take joy. If you read the first part of chapter 3, which I would encourage you to do during communion, here's what you'll see. He starts retelling the story of all the great things God has done. And so I asked some guys in my D group, let's write our own Habakkuk 3. Tell me, when have you seen God? They're like, what do you mean? Just when's the moment you saw God and you remembered who God was? And somebody said, well, um, I saw God when I was standing at the beach at night and I saw the moon reflect on the ocean. Okay, write it down. I saw God on our trip to the Grand Canyon when I realized that he was big and I was small. Okay, write that down. I saw God when I stood at the, 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 the base of the Redwood trees and mere woods in San Francisco, write that down. I saw God in Mexico when I held a child that we were building a house for his family, write that down. And you begin to start remembering all the things that God has done. And the God that seems nowhere is suddenly now here. And so they made a list. Our students in our group all wrote them. I've got about 100 cards, index cards, where they just wrote, I saw God here and I experienced him here. Then we had them write the second part of Habakkuk 3, though the blank, fill that in. And they wrote things like, though I didn't get to go to camp or Mexico or impact, I'm still going to trust in God. Though my senior year was taken away, or though my rising senior year may not be what I expected, yet I will still trust in God. Though I've not gotten to hug my grandparents in in four months, yet I will trust in God. Though I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow, yet I will still trust in 80, 100 note cards of answers where students wrote, though this has been taken or though this is happening, yet I will still trust in God. They learned how to change their tune. But there's still one other part of this. They've learned how to rearrange certain things. I, I walked our students through this idea that Habakkuk starts off as a hater, shaking his fist at God, saying, God, what are you doing? Somebody once told me that a hater is really just a person who's got their heart jumbled up. Same letters, just in a different place. So we had our students spell it out and kind of moved them around. And I said, you encounter a hater on social media or in your life or at your school, it's probably just somebody who's got their heart messed up. Or this one hit a little more closer to home for me. About in April or late May, I began to realize that I'm carrying a burden that I just have never had to carry, and I just don't know that I can carry it. And I told friends, I've done youth ministry for 25 years. I should be able to handle this. And they're like, nobody knows how to handle this. For the maybe second time in my life, I experienced what I thought was probably a pretty deep depression. And then somebody, a wise mentor, said, just rearrange those letters. And they all spell out this phrase, I pressed on. And it was in praying through those moments on my long walks. I've tried to start walking five miles a day. And it's been one of the greatest blessings of my life to get me through this as I'm trying to press on. It was that God put Habakkuk on my heart. And I realized I need the book of Habakkuk more than any students needed to hear me talk about the book of Habakkuk. And then I realized that there's another part of this at the end. Look at the last verse there, 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Very poetic language. And you would just kind of look over to dismiss it as poetic language until I was looking through a commentary and said Habakkuk may very well have been looking at some of the mountain deer that not just are prancing through the meadows. The best way I can describe it is a documentary that I saw on PBS. It's from the BBC. This is the the Sangrino Dam in the Paradiso National Park in Italy. It's a, a large structure. You'll see it's a massive sheer cliff, just like any dam holding back a large lake would be. But there's salt deposits that come from these rocks. And these mountain ibex or this mountain, these mountain goat, they need these salt-like minerals that are coming from the the, the rocks. So they will go to great lengths, literally do anything to get up there and to, to lick the salt coming from this dam because it will sustain their nervous system. 
they, the, the guy on the documentary said these animals wouldn't be able to live without these uh, salt deposits in their body. And so the, the young will even follow their moms uh, right up the, the cliff. It's also a safe way to get away from predators. It's a defense mechanism because no animal is going to follow them. And you watch them, and there's no steps there. These are just bricks in the dam, and these animals will continue. Some of these shots that are close up are not as impressive until you see them from far away, and they are walking up the side of a wall. And there's lots of these goat that are all, goats that are all over the wall. People will come from all over. You see several of them there. People will come from all over the world to watch these goats do their thing. And when I saw this, I thought, that's it. That's Habakkuk 3. He makes my feet like the feet of the mountain ibex so that I can scale, not just so I can conquer a hurdle, so that I can climb something that seems nearly impossible. I guarantee you that some of these students that are sitting over here are staring at something in their life, and I know that it's not just students. They say, how am I going to do that? How am I going to? There's no way I can clear this. And 2020 has just put up wall after wall after wall, not just nights and Christmas lights. How are we going to get up? And Habakkuk says, I'm going to rewrite my tune because I've remembered that God has always been faithful. And because God designed these mountain goats. Look at these images. It's unbelievable. But these goats have... Uh, hooves that are made to like spongy and almost like suction cups to be able to grip. And they've got an ear, inner ear system that allows them to maintain an amazing sense of balance. You can imagine Habakkuk sitting there uh, watching animals like that saying, God, that is what you do for me. You've done that. I didn't think I could possibly get over this wall. But you make my feet like the feet of a deer. And so that's why we prayed for 366 days. These cards are significant because these prayers are all valuable. I've asked some guys to help me out. Guys, would you come on up? I want to show you, though, why it was so important for us to do this. In this particular year, it was on a prayer walk in early January, before I was walking daily as a habit, that I was like, God, give us something that we can just do together as a group. Give us something. And God just said, you're going to need prayer. And I'm like, oh, well, we always need prayer. He's like, nope, you're going to need prayer this year. Okay, so let's just pray. I went to Blake and I said, hey, we'll do these prayer cards and people will sign up and we'll pray every day of the year. Guys, let's turn them around. Because the cards that are more meaningful are these cards that are on the back. Because these are the 400 names of the students that are in our care, not just in the youth ministry, but North Boulevard's care. These are your sons and your daughters. And some of them have been here through all of this. Some of them are watching at home. Some of them have drifted away like, like ships that have been uh, untethered from the dock. And I don't know if we'll ever see them again. And my heart has been burdened and heavy. We've tried to connect with them. But it's like dropping BBs on a tile floor that's inclined and thinking, are we ever going to get them back? And I don't know if we are, but I know that for 366 days they've been prayed for. And from the 7th graders and 8th graders, to the ninth and 10th. These are the cards that matter and why the cards on the other side are necessary. And so students, you need to know that so many of these people have prayed for 50 and 60 minutes because they've gotten the list of, of your names and prayed for you, for you by name. There's a few cards up here that you'll see on the stage. There's about 10 days left that are unclaimed. We just need 10 people in this room. We wanted to get 366 different people. And after this service, Blake will be down here. And if you'll get one of these cards and see him so we can sign your name so we'll know, you can mail this back to us. But we need these dates taken. This is it. And if anybody here says, I'll take a day. Now, if the, if the cards are gone, I'm going to give you a challenge, church. It's a little homework assignment. It's not that difficult. Those of you watching at home, really easy to do. Could you just pray for the number of minutes equal to your age 
for our students and our ministry. Pray for everything else you want to pray for. Some of you are going to have a lot of time on your hands to pray. But even if you're a five-year-old, you can get one of these cards. But I'd love to see these gone, which means that our year will be, uh, be complete. But I'd love for you to take on one of those days. There's one last part, and I'll close this morning by looking at the very last part of this. Because it's the part of Habakkuk 3 that you miss. He's changed his tune. He's now said, God, I know I complained. But God, even though I've got a little knot here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship and celebrate the God who unties the knots. But if you look at Habakkuk 3, if you've got a Bible, uh, look at that, little, that part right at the bottom of the It's not even on this slide right here. It just says this at the very end. It's like a little postscript right there at the end in small letters for the director of music. Now, we'd, most, that's probably not highlighted in your Bibles. It is in mine because I was like, I, you know, what does that mean? It seems very likely that Habakkuk said, I dug this out of the trash can. I wrote it. This is a song that needs to be sung in church. We're going to start singing this song. He says to the people of God, this is the song we're going to sing. Why? Because he realizes a truth. Habakkuk realizes that when the people of God sing the song of God, they provide the soundtrack to the story of God so that people will know the glory of God. And Habakkuk realizes, though everything else is taken away, we've got to sing. Why? Because the soundtrack lets you know what's about to happen next. Sean, come help us illustrate this. We did not rehearse this. We had fun in first service with it. It doesn't take long. But I want to show you how this works. You ever notice in a movie when you hear certain music, you know something is about to happen or somebody's about to show up. Sean, give us the first one. Who's about to show up? Clippity-clop, 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 clop, clop, clippity-clop, 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 clop, clop. You know the Lone Ranger's about to make his entrance and all is going to be well. Okay, what's about to happen next, Sean? Next movie. It's like pentatonics right up here. Very good. Who's showing up, church? Indiana Jones, give us the next one. Wow, okay, that was good. Thank you very much. Uh, we know that Superman's on his way, and evil is about to be vanquished. You just hear the chords of that song, and you know it's all going to be okay. Or maybe it's not. What's going to happen next? All right, kids, who is it? Yeah, Darth Vader's on his way. You better watch out. We got a couple more. Give it to us, Sean. <laughs> you know there's about to be a showdown. Something's about to go down. We got one last one. Okay, I think we got it. Thank you, Sean. All right. Okay, we all know who's showing up here. We got it. All right, good, Sean. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. James Bond. Very nice. Give Sean a big hand. Good job, Sean. Thank you. Almost everybody in the room knows what's about to happen next just from the soundtrack. Habakkuk learned that too. Probably not as, as enjoyable as Sean did. But Habakkuk realized, you know what? The world is going to know what's going to happen next by our song. And church, if we sing the old lyrics to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, or if we sing, um, uh, I'll show some other songs in a second. I want to remind us what Peter reminds us. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold and perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor 
You've got to change your tune when you've got a little knot. Otherwise, you walk around and sing hymns like, I surrender some. Or, oh, how I like Jesus. Or, I love to talk about telling the story. Amazing grace, how interesting the sound. My hope is built on nothing much. Above average is thy faithfulness. Joyful, joyful, we kind of like thee. He's quite a bit to me. Take my life and let me be. All hail the influence of Jesus' name. But the one that too many of us sing in a world that needs a better song is I have decided to follow Jesus. Church, this can't be our song. Because if we do, then the world makes a laughingstock of God and they say God is nowhere. And so Habakkuk writes these words. He takes them to the worship leader and he says, we need to sing this song in a world where the cliff seems like we can't clear it. God has prepared you to clear those cliffs. And so church, I just leave you with the challenge that Hugh Martin's partner gave to him. And it's the message that I have for you. You will ruin your life if you don't change the lyrics to that song. December 6th is one of the days that's not been claimed. That's today. It just happened to be a day that's not claimed. I'm going to lay this card down here as I go down to join you in singing. And when we're done, if you're willing to take one of these days, would you do that? Would you begin to do this? Because when you pray, you know what you do for 400 students? You change the soundtrack of God. And by the soundtrack, we know what's about to happen next. It's not within my power to place the divine teachings of God directly into the heart of another person. All I can do is lay them on the surface of the heart so that when the heart breaks, these will be the things that will fall in first. And if that's happened today in any way, may God and God alone receive all the glory. Church, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let's all stand together and sing.